listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all enjoy worship so far? Yeah. Good stuff. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3. Now, if, uh, whether you're a kid or an adult, um, we all know this, that when you, uh, as, a, as a dude, when you have kids and become a dad, this weird thing happens where you just start trying to make dad jokes. You know what I'm talking about? Um, kids, you can look down at your dad and shake your head if you need to, but we start making dad jokes. And so, on uh, one, one night this week, we were having dinner, my wife and I and our, our twin two-year-olds, and I thought I would have a dad joke. And so Carolina Tate always has, how's it going, Carolina Tate? She has this little bunny that she carries with her everywhere, Money the Bunny, or she calls that Bu-Bu-Bu-Money. Um, so she's got this little bunny at the table, and I'm like, I think I have a joke. And I'm, so I say, uh, Toddy, she goes by Toddy now. If you call her Tater, she will correct you. Um, I said, Toddy, uh, do you know what? is Bunny's favorite genre of music. And she just looked at me and I said, it's hip hop. And of course, they, all, they did what you, uh, loser, right? They kind of looked at me like that. Well, Haddon starts going, hip hop, hip hop. And I'm like, dude, he got my joke. That's, that's my boy right there, right? So I get excited. And so then he keeps, he keeps saying hip hop. And so I'm like, apparently we're also, this was not on the agenda, but apparently tonight we're also going to have a dance party because Haddon is wanting some hip hop. So I go to get my phone and put on uh, some hip hop. And then the next thing he starts saying is hip hop, I eat it. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what is happening. And he keeps saying, it, it gets getting more serious. Hip hop, I eat it. And he's kind of like, Ugh. and so finally I realized he's saying, he thinks that I said cake pop. <laughs> Like a Starbucks, right? So what was certainly not on the agenda but quickly became on the agenda was a quick run to Starbucks to get a cake pop, and he did eat it. Let me tell you what. Um, the problem there was there was a breakdown in communication. What I thought was very clear of just a really ridiculous dad joke about bunny liking hip-hop uh, broke down into cake pop and we need to go to Starbucks. The reality is sometimes even in church, things that should be clear should be this like, oh yeah, there's, there's no question there, become muddy. I don't know if it's because of our culture or like maybe people like me don't always communicate things well, but things that should be clear often get muddied in, in communication and even you could say translation. And one of those things is that God says sex between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship is a good thing. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, God says it's a good thing. So let's go ahead and kind of, maybe it's just me, let's kind of get it out a little bit, just breathe a little bit, everybody doing good, all right. Um, sex is a good thing. And I think we grow up in, in church culture and can often have this idea that God is up in heaven and he's like, don't do it, you little sickos. And he's like, up there tapping his foot, and he's like, you people, I can't believe what y'all are doing, right? But that's how we tend to view God, is it not? That's what we do. Um, but the reality is, in Genesis, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. So he said, do it a lot. 
And if you're like, well, okay, Brandon, yo, he was talking about kids. Okay, that's fair. Like, we don't want to like pull things out of context. But did you know <laughs> there's a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon that is all about sex? I remember the first time I, uh, I guess, kind of taught on this with a youth group. It was in Itasca, Texas. And I remember, I won't say his name, though. People in here would know who he is. I remember there was a seventh grade boy sitting about five chairs back in the middle. And I said, listen, there's a book in the Bible, Song of Solomon, that is all about sex. And it talks about pleasure and longing and desire and body parts. And it's that it's a good thing. And no lie, first time ever, I saw the seventh grade boy reach the Bible in front of him and open it up. <laughs> and I was like, revival is happening. God is moving, right? He was, for the first time, opening his Bible in the church, and it was awesome. But, that, but really, like, so I, I invite you, if you're like completely shocked by that and like this is all crazy to you, you, you should turn up, turn up uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, right? Turn there, go for it, read it. Don't get too weird in church, but you can go check it out, all right? Um, the Bible is for it. It's, it's a good thing between a man and a woman in marriage. So are we clear on that? You're like, please just move on, bro. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're clear on that, I think. Okay, um, by the way, if you, if, just as a quick side note, if in church we, or as parents, if we produce, if we try to steer our kids from the, um, I don't know what to call it, the power or the draw of sex, and we just like, oh, it's gross, don't do it. Saying it's gross just brings confusion or even just further interest, right, and unhealthy interest. So it's not gross, it's a, it's a good thing from God. So if it's a, such a good thing, why did God put boundaries on it? Why did God not just say, hey, do whatever you want. Go have fun. Why did he say it's between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship? Why did he put boundaries? Well, we, could, we could write a book on that. P people have written books on it. Um, but a, a couple of things real quick before we get to the text, I promise. One thing that comes to mind that we, we can't um, ignore is that sex is not just a bond between a man and a woman physically. It's, a, it's an emotional and mental bond. That's not just like a biblical perspective. That's even like scholars agree, or secular scholars would agree on that. That's more than just a physical bond. Something more happens there. And God, because he created sex, he is the sexpert, another dad joke. Um, <laughs> but because he created sex, he's the sexpert, we should listen to what he says. So God, knowing that sex is a very good thing, but it's a very powerful thing, it's a very powerful bonding thing gave us parameters for it. And because it's such a powerful thing, if we take it outside of those boundaries, those parameters, it can actually be hurtful. It's kind of like, I've used this example before uh, different ministries, it's kind of like a fire. A fire is a really, really good thing, but it's also really powerful. A fire in the fireplace within those boundaries is awesome. Right? I mean, not when it's 100 degrees outside, but like at the right time of year, a fire in the fireplace is great. If you take the fire outside of the fireplace and just dump it on the floor, you have a problem all of a sudden, right? Like the fire's good, but if it's taken outside of the boundaries really to protect you, all of a sudden it becomes very, very dangerous. When you take sex, as good as a gift as it is, if you take it out of the boundaries that God has given between a man and a woman, a marriage relationship, all of a sudden it can be destructive. 
You know, it's interesting, like, again, as we like maybe let the tensions down and, and not nervous about talking about this, I don't have to tell you that. All of us know too many examples, whether it be in our own life or people we love, where they and their own desire have taken the good gift of sex and tried to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman, and it's been completely destructive. One of my uh, professors used to say, the fastest, quickest, biggest way to devastate everything you love, everyone you love, and everything you worked for is to commit adultery. It didn't have to just be that. It could be, sexual sin in general can, does that. It's destructive in nature. But for some reason, we, we come to Christ at Colossians 3, we, we, we're, uh, Colossians 2 and 3. We're raised with Christ. We have this new life in Christ. But we tend to want to cling to our sin, don't we? We tend to want to kind of bring our sin with us into our relationship with God, whether it's because we forget how gross it is or we've just grown accustomed to it. That's what we do. I think about uh, middle school retreat back in like 2014. We, uh, <laughs> we had gone to uh, Fort Lone Tree, not Lone Tree Ranch, Fort Lone Tree, and we were there like Friday through Sunday morning and we're fixing to leave and one of the, uh, one of the, male counselor, chaperones, and we were trying to get all the rooms cleaned up, and he told the boys, he said, hey, boys, you need to make sure, go clean the bathroom, go clean the room, make sure you even, like, be, be so diligent to even, like, scrape out the toothpaste from the sink, get it all up, and the middle school boys, as serious as they could be, said, oh, that won't be a problem, we, none of us brushed our teeth the whole time we were here, so we don't have to get the toothpaste, and he was like, all right, all right, go brush your teeth, and then clean the sink, <laughs> what was so funny about it is, it was lost on them how gross that was. Like they were like, didn't even miss a beat. Like, oh, we, we hadn't brushed our teeth. Like we don't have to clean the sink. And like, you guys are nasty. Like, what are you doing? We, we do that with, but we've all been in middle school. So no shame on middle schoolers. We all, we've all been there. Um, we tend to, to bring all kinds of sin, but in, because of today, sexual sin into this new life with Christ. And it's like sometimes lost on us how, how inappropriate, how gross it is, how wrong it is, how hurtful, how destructive it is. So Paul, as we've been in Colossians 3, he's going to lean into, okay, you've been raised with Christ. You have this new life in Christ. You're setting your eyes, your heartbeat, your focus on Jesus. So here's how that should change your life. Here's how you should be distinct and set apart from the rest of the world. Not just so you can be, oh, look at me, but because you have a relationship with God, you've been made alive with him. Here's how it should change your life. And in chapter 3, starting in verse 5, he says, he deals particularly with how your new life in Christ should change your life as re in regards to sexual sin. By the way, just so we're like maybe a little more clear. Again, sex between a man and woman in a marriage relationship is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a gross thing. Sexual sin, this could be adultery, pornography. It could be, this isn't a phone, but scrolling through Instagram and pausing too long on people you probably shouldn't even be following anyways. Facebook, 
It could be watching music videos you shouldn't be watching. It, should, it could be walking in Walmart, of all places, and checking somebody out. Letting your thoughts run rampant with sexual desire. What does he say in regard to those? Verse 5, chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What are these things that are earthly in us? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you... In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So what does Paul say about sexual sin in the believer? The first three words of chapter, uh, sorry, of verse five, he says, put them to death. Put to death sexual immorality. So it's not something that you, you cuddle up with and kind of hang on to or just like, I'll just kick this under the rug when nobody's watching. It'll be okay. It's not something that you just cling to kind of behind your back. No, he says, put it to death. Kill it. It's interesting that the, Paul doesn't normally use very violent language. That's pretty violent. He says, put it to death. It should be done. It should be gone away with. It has no place in the believer's life. It does not belong in the believer's life. You're supposed to hunt it down and get rid of it. He says sexual immorality. This is the word there is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. It's kind of a, a summary word in the New Testament of, of all that the Bible describes as sexual sin. So any sexual activity outside the good, wise boundaries of sex between a man and a woman in a marriage relationship. He says, kill it, put it to death. The other next word he uses is impurity. This is kind of a, a general word referring to sin, but most typically it's, re, it's uh, used in reference to sexual sin. You know, there's a reason why when you sin sexually, whatever that may be, and there's a host of ways that could look, but there's a reason that you feel gross when you do that. Because in God's perspective, you're, 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 you are sinning and it's like you're, you're literally being dirty. <laughs> Impurity. This would certainly include walking the line. What I mean is, God says, pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, and pursue Christ. Walking the line is, well, I know God says sex is only for a man and woman in marriage relationship, so I'm going to get as close to that line as I can without sinning. Look, God, technically I'm not sinning because I didn't have sex. If I'm walking the line trying to, oh, and just making excuses, well, technically we didn't do that, or technically it wasn't pornography, and you're just kind of walking the line, are you pursuing holiness and righteousness Oh, sorry. Are you pursuing holiness and righteousness when you do that? No. Running away, flee is what Paul says. Flee sexual immorality. Walking the line is not fleeing. That's, what, that's one of the things that is the idea in impurity is it includes walking the line instead of pursuing holiness and righteousness. And he says, put to death passion and evil 
desire. These are, I think all of these are really in the same grouping of sexual sins, but these two for sure, I think, could be understood together of passion and evil desire. So sexual, uncontrolled sexual passion that is not within the good and wise confines of a man and woman in a biblical marriage relationship. So it's, it's lust, it's longing, it's letting your thoughts go wild on, on something or an image. It's desiring things that God hasn't given you. It says, put it to death. And then he says, put to death, so uh, I'll read them again, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So covetousness is longing for something that God hasn't given you. Something that maybe someone else has that God hasn't given you. And let's, let, let's just for, again, for clarity's sake, this doesn't mean it's wrong to have longings. Like, <laughs> this is real, I wouldn't pronounce this. I remember we were at uh, uh, Evie Mays. By the way, it, it is, you just pronounce Evie Mays. Someone wants to debate that with me afterwards. I'd be glad to debate that with you. Anyways, uh, we're at Evie Mays with uh, Pastor David and several of the younger staff. And um, Pastor David was, we were talking about all kinds of stuff and like fam, talking about family issues mainly. I want to have healthy families. And uh, Pastor David said, and guys, you want to make sure that you show affection to your spouse, to your wife, in front of your kids, and no lie, right as he said that on the radio in every maze, the song came on. When a man loves a woman. Anyways, um, I have a really good voice, by the way. Don't be distracted by that. Um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not wrong to have desire. It's not wrong if you're single that you have a desire to get married. It's not wrong when you're dating and like there's this, it's not wrong to have sexual desire. Like that's a natural, good God-given feeling, but it's when it's out of control and it's like, God, I have to have that. I don't care what you say. I'm going to get it because I want what I want. He says, covetousness is idolatry. If you're, by the way, if you're like, how is that part of sexual sin? I'm not going to get like, too weird here, like too blunt here, but again, longing for something that someone else has, something they have that you don't. That, I don't think that's hard to get how that's a sexual thing. <laughs> or having, uh, desiring something God hasn't given you. That, that absolutely can fit within sexual sin. It says covetousness is idolatry. Man, this, this is huge. All sin Really, disobedience of God based on a distrust of God. Hmm, can I trust you? Because you have a distorted view of God. You disobey because you distrust what he says, and you distrust what he says because you have a distorted view of God. See, when you begin to clearly and accurately see that Jesus is bigger and better than anyone or anything else, then you're going to want to trust him. And you're going to want to obey him. All sin, all, all, yeah, all sin is loving something more than God, longing for something more than God, because you have failed to see how lovely God is. That's why he says covetousness is idolatry. It's, it's misplaced worship. See, we've talked about when you make sex gross, it brings confusion. When you make sex God, it brings destruction. Sex makes a terrible God. It's a good gift, but it makes a terrible God. So he says, put it to 
death. Don't cling to him. Don't hang out with this sin. Don't, oh, it's a cute little pet. No, you must put it to death. And man, I love, parents don't miss this here. I love that in this scripture, it's filled with reasons why. God's not just like, uh, don't do it. Just don't. Don't have fun. No, he gives you reasons why, which is a good like little, uh, our kids are only two. I know I have so much to learn. You guys are like, you don't know anything about kids yet. I respect that. But there's a good tip there on don't just tell your kids why. I'm sorry, don't just say because I said so. Give them a good reason why. Even God explains why. He says, put them to death. Therefore, this, therefore, it goes back to really, I would say, all of Colossians uh, 1 through 3, 4. Ultimately, because of who Jesus is and because even though you were dead in your sins, because of the cross of Jesus, you've been made alive with Christ. You've been forgiven and freed from your sins. The enemy has no more power over you. You've been raised up and now your eyes should be set on him. You have a new identity in Christ. So put your sin to death. Is that a good reason to put your sin to death? Is that a good reason to put your sin to death? Absolutely. And he gives more. Verse six, he says, on account of these, so the sexual sins he just listed, the wrath of God is coming. Wrath, this is not this sudden outburst of God because all of a sudden he's angry. No, this is really the right and righteous and measured and appropriate response of a holy God to sin. If God is not wrathful towards sin, then God is not holy. Like we, we want God to be wrathful on sin. Because if he's not, then he's not holy. I would also say that's what makes the cross so beautiful. If God isn't wrathful towards sin, if it's just like, oh, sin's all good, then the cross wasn't necessary. The cross, excuse me, the wrath of God is the, you know, let me say it this way. You know when you go uh, diamond shopping, uh, not that you should do that regularly, but like if you're going to propose whatever, and what you do this weekend, just diamond shopping, just because. Um, they always put the diamond or the jewelry on a black cloth, right? Because it pops, it shines. The wrath of God is the black cloth that the mercy and goodness and grace of God sits upon, the cross, right? When you understand that apart from the cross of Jesus, you would be completely under the wrath of God. All of a sudden, the cross becomes really, really beautiful. That because Jesus paid the price for my sins, he paid that penalty, and now I don't have to experience the wrath of God. Man, the cross is something I want to cling to. So he says, verse 6, on account of these sins, the wrath of God is coming. So people who have not placed their faith and trust in God, they've not turn from their sin and turn to Jesus, they're going to experience the wrath of God. Now, I think this flows into verse seven. And he says, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's saying and the, the wrath of God is coming on, on this sin. And he's talking to believers and he's saying, look, like, that's not who you are anymore. So because you've trusted in Christ, you're not going to experience that wrath of God, even though you used to to walk in them. You, you, that used to be who you are. So again, he's pulling this identity underneath like as a, as a foundation that, remember, that used to be you, but it's not who you are anymore. You have a new identity in Christ. So put it, excuse me, put it away. Put the sin to death. Don't just chop it down, knowing and kind of secretly hoping that the sin will grow back. No, get down to the root and pull it out. Shoot it kill it, get rid of it, put it to 
death. It doesn't belong in the believer's life. It makes me think of what uh, John Owen, he was an English theologian back in the 1600s. He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's what first Peter says that your sinful desires, they wage war on your soul. It's like this fruit that looks really good and tasty and juicy, but as soon as you eat it, man, there's, it's rotten or it's poisonous. So put it to death. Kill it. Kill it. A fair question is, how do I do that? It would be nice if you could just like, so in the back, we have sexual sin guns. Just grab that gun and just go shoot it. Like, that would be actually really, actually it'd be creepy, but that'd be cool, right? Um, yeah, we don't have that. How do you put these things to death? I want to, with the remainder of our time, walk through what I believe are hopefully some, some practical ways to do that. So if you're, if you're taking notes, I, here's a good time to take notes. How do you put it to death? First is, remember it's a daily fight, not a destination. Remember it's a daily fight, not a destination. If you view it as this destination, you're never going to engage in battle because you're going to take three steps forward and you're going to take a step back and you're like, oh, I'm a failure. I hate my life. No, it's, it's a daily battle. It's a daily fight. So make small goals. If you, man, just again, just trying to be straight up. If you're struggling with pornography and you're like, I've been looking at porn for all these years, but I'm never going to look at it ever, ever again. I love your heart, but that's probably not the best strategy. Maybe it's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a month. I'm going to go two months. That make sense? It's a daily fight. It's a daily submitting to him. Second thing, know your weaknesses. Every good team, every good um, military, they're gonna have, if they're going to have a good battle plan, they have to know their weaknesses. So are there certain things that lead you into temptation? Are there certain times of, of the day or the night that lead you to temptation? Are there certain situations that are going to lead you to temptation? And if you, if you know where you're weak, then you can fight better. So like if you know that, and it can, again, uh, I think we ought too often think, well, I don't look at pornography, but like then we still look at, we like linger too long on social media pictures or whatever. Um, if you know you're going to struggle with that at night, then don't get on your phone. Like that's a, like know your weakness. If it's like, man, every night, I just find myself glancing at things I shouldn't. What are you doing? Well, I'm on Instagram. Well, don't get on Instagram. Like, get away from it. Know your weaknesses. Um, I would even say, if, you're, if you know when you're lonely or if you're in a season of depression or you know that when work is not going good that you're more prone to temptation, then talk about that with somebody. Like, put up safeguards for those seasons of life. Next one, this is really like the biggest one. Um, focus on Jesus. 
That, that really, again, these are not in order. That could be like one, two, three, four, and five. Focus on Jesus. Don't forget that this whole, we're going to be for a while in chapter three talking about like what the Christian life looks like. And it all began in chapter three, verses one through four of setting your eyes on Christ, seeking the things above. Um, yeah, setting your mind on things above. So this is not just like, all right, I'm going to fight sexual temptation. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to look over there. And then doing all that, what are you actually doing? Thinking about it, right? It's to turn your focus from those things and actually place it on a person and his name is Jesus. I love, man, this is such a good quote. This is from um, John Owen, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, he wrote a book called Overcoming Sin and Temptation. It's a super big, intimidating book, but really good. He says, to respond to the distorting nature of sin, you must set your affections on the beauty and glory of God, the loveliness of Christ, and the wonder of the gospel. Were our affections filled, taken up, and possessed with these things, what access could sin with its painted pleasures, with its sugared poisons, with its envenomed baits, have into our souls? Resisting sin comes not by deadening your affections, but by awakening them to God himself. Do not seek to empty your cup as a way to avoid sin, but rather seek to fill it up with the spirit of life so there's no longer room for sin. And that's good stuff, isn't it? Super good. You know, I, we have, as you leave today, you're going to get uh, a copy of a piece of paper. Um, it's got a bunch of verses on it. And, uh, Man, it's trying to be transparent. When I was in college and struggling with my thoughts and lust, no lie, I topped up those verses. I, and by the way, they may not all be like 100% talking about sexual sin, but they were helpful to me. So please don't like text me. And, you're not, uh, you're, that's bad. I, uh, exegesis, like leave me alone. Anyways, so uh, I, I topped up those verses. I, I would carry them in my pocket. And if my mind started wandering somewhere, I would pull those verses out and focus on scripture. You know what's amazing? Not every time I don't want to be like, oh, I was this hero. But most of the time, after reading those verses, I could tuck that piece of paper back in my pocket and I was kind of like, I ain't giving into that trash. My eyes are set on Jesus. I saw something more beautiful in Christ so I was not tempted by something lesser. Y'all tracking with me? Those verses are going to be there for you. Um, another thing that could be really helpful, another tool for you. There's an app, I think it's like two or $3. It is called, it's technically called Overcome, Overcome Pornography, but I don't want to tell you to type that all in because who knows what that might pull up, but in your app store, if you'll type in Overcome, uh, it's, a, it's a blue app, it says 40 on it, and it's made by Covenant Eyes, and it is a phenomenal app. I've recommended it to so many people. It's 40 days of walking through fighting sexual temptation, not just pornography, but sexual temptation in any shape or form. So maybe you're like, man, I'm not addicted to porn. I'm not doing anything crazy, but I just still find my mind going places it shouldn't and looking at things I shouldn't. I would re recommend that app to anyone. It's gonna help you take your, your eyes off of lesser things and put them on the glory and mercy and beauty and grace of God. I gotta keep moving. Um, obviously, with all that focus on Jesus, get into scripture, hopefully you got that loud and clear. The fourth thing is bring it to the light. I love what Matt Chandler says. You can't fight the devil in the dark. He's going to knock you out if you try to fight him in the dark. You can't step on and kill a snake in the dark. You can't if you can't see him. We're never going to be, we're, we're never going to have victory over our sins until we start being honest about our sins. So I, um, by the way, I'm watching the clock. I, I know where we're at. I'm not going to get us too late, I promise. But I want to invite... Um, Meredith, to 
come on up. Meredith Cottle, she uh, has been at Southcrest for four years now. Is that right? And uh, was part of Lauren and I's home group for a while. We used to do home groups back in the journey. And um, man, been super, come, come on, you're good. Oh yeah, grab the mic, sorry. <laughs> um, super faithful at Southcrest. And I've asked her to come and help us think through, bring it to the light real quick. So y'all make her feel welcome real quick. Yeah, like, super courageous woman, okay? So, yeah, super awesome. Um, hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I'm Meredith. I've been going to Southcrest for quite some time. And this story starts um, after my senior year of high school. I began a relationship with pornography. And what started out as like, this is no big deal and has no effect on me and I'm not worried about it. Um, I look up two years later and realize that this is addiction. And I had been going to Southcrest and we went to fall retreat. Um, and after that, God really started to convict my heart. And um, we came back and God met me and broke the chains of pornography. but. I was still really like bogged down in my shame and guilt and just like disgust of what I had done. And um, I thought, I'm gonna die with this. I'd rather take this to the grave than tell anyone <laughs> because this is like just embarrassing. I can't. Hey, has anyone else felt that? It'd be better, and on any sin, so don't, you're not outing yourself, but on any sin, have you, ever, have you ever felt that? If I just keep this to myself, and had this pain and agony of shame, that would be better than anyone else knowing. You all felt that before? So let's just all in agreement. That is a, that's a lie. Okay? Let's call, for, that is bull from the enemy. That's a lie. Please continue. <laughs> and so I thought, I'm going to die with this and that will be fine. And, um, but it was so weighing heavy on me that I was anxious all the time. And one day I walked downstairs and talked to my mom and she met me with um, grace and love and pointed me towards truth and was not like, oh, I'm so disgusted in you. My daughter, like, how could you do this? Um, and so it was again, like now I've confessed and I just can keep this to myself. I don't have to tell anyone about it. And funny thing was two months later, um, I got to work at a D now and one of the students came to me and said, I struggle with pornography. And I was like, okay. And it's just like God to pair you up and match you with someone who you don't know their story and don't know um, what they struggle with and just put them together to say like, let's lock arms and fight sin together. Um, and so that was kind of God moving to me or like saying to me like, hey, this isn't for you to keep to yourself. This is not... Um, your story that you're just going to die with. Like this breaks chains for people. And so um, the point of all of that is to say that um, God is really good and that um, we can't fight in the dark. It's not possible. Um, you'll be bogged down in shame. And uh, it's so important to bring it to the light because the devil's a liar and you'll continue to live in what he tells you unless you have a community or counseling to fight what the lies you've been given. Absolutely. Hey, she's not done, but that's awesome. 
I, I told you I was going to say this, and I forgot, so to keep my word. I remember um, I was in college, and the first time I was going to talk, I never vocalized ever uh, struggle with sexual temptation, lust. And I remember uh, my roommate, who I didn't know that well, for whatever reason, I thought, if I'm going to tell somebody, I'm just, just going to tell him, I guess, <laughs> which is maybe not the best way to approach it. But anyways, I remember my heart was going to beat out of my chest. I don't know how you felt with your mom, but like, so nervous. And everything in me, which I think really was like the enemy trying to weigh me down, was like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And as soon as I vocalized, I, I wasn't even like, I was just like, hey man, I kind of struggle with sexual temptation. As soon as I said it, there was freedom. And all of a sudden, because it's in the, in the light, and now we can talk about it, God can work on my heart because I've, I've opened it up to him. I want to ask you, what would, so a lot of us in our lifetime, we're going to have, at some point, someone come to us and tell us, confess about a sin, whether it's sexual sin or whatever. What, how would you encourage people to respond when someone does go to them and lays out some confession? What would you, what would you say is really helpful? Because it sounds like your mom did an awesome job. What would you say are some things that are really important there? Um, I would say don't be surprised because we'll be like, oh, you gossip? That's okay. <laughs> but if it's pornography or lust, you're like, oh my gosh, like, good luck with that one. <laughs> um, which is not true. We're all in the same boat as sinners. Um, and so to move each other towards like informing their heart of truth um, and speaking truth over them. Awesome. That's good. I, um, I'm having stage for a second more. One thing I love about that is you're not saying, it's all good, it's all grace. It's truth and grace. I believe someone came to earth and brought salvation with truth and grace. You all know something about that, right? Jesus came in grace and truth. And that's actually the, the fifth, and we'll let Mary speak to this just for a second as well. The fifth thing is walk in grace. If you live under this cloud of, oh man, just always in shame and God hates me, you're never going to run to him with your sin because you're going to be afraid of him. We should like be in awe and really have a healthy fear of the Lord. But when you understand that Jesus willingly suffered and died for you on the cross, knowing full well how evil and wicked and sinful and messed up we would be, then that stirs grace in your heart. You realize he loves me in spite of who I am. And God's not like, oh, Brandon, I didn't know you would sin like that. No, he's like, yeah, I know full well. Come bring it to me. And if you walk in shame rather than grace, all it's going to do is make you go in this downward spiral of focus on self and shame and woe is me. And you're just going to dig yourself in a pit rather than saying, yeah, I'm really messed up. I'm bringing it to the light. Jesus, I know that in you and faith in you, there's grace and forgiveness and hope and love. And so I'm going to walk in grace and walking in grace brings freedom. And I know that's what, as we talk, that's what you found. You want to tag anything on that? I may have sold out all your thunder. <laughs> um, what I found was that I had a really distorted view mm. of God and that um, when I sat down with community or counseling and they were like, hey, why do, you, why do you think that you're not redeemable or why do you think that you don't deserve love? It was because I had been fed the lies from the devil that say that. And um, when I was encouraged to go dig in the word, I was like, man, God's, God's love is much more powerful than shame. And so this no longer... 
um, has a hold on me, a hold on me, so I can live in grace because of um, kind of overriding the bad theology that I had. Mm. Preach. Give her a hand, y'all. Thank you, Meredith. All right, I know, I know we, we got to finish up. Man, thank you, Meredith. That took, that took courage. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to finish with, with this, really two quotes. And I think this is super important. I, I, I'm passionate about sharing these because I think this is this right here. We've got, so many of you right now are fixing to have a turning point in your life. Maybe read some of it, then I'll explain, then I'll read the rest of it. This is from uh, Christian counselor Ed Welch. He says, there's a mean streak to authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we also demand of ourselves a hatred for sin. The only possible attitude toward out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There's something about war that sharpens the senses. You hear a twig snap or the rustling of leaves and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. I think so many of us in regards to really all sin, but particularly sexual sin, are tempted to walk in this apathetic, Woe is me, it's just kind of my struggle. I'll keep giving in to this, whatever it may be. And Christ, in telling us to put it to death, is calling us to come to a point where we put a stake in the ground and make a declaration of all out war against sin. Not so we can be loved and freed and forgiven. No, we're already loved and freed and forgiven, but it's a call to actually live in the love and free and freedom and forgiveness that He's offered to us. Does that make sense? So we're not fighting for righteousness. So, oh, maybe God will see me as righteous. No, we're fighting from. He's declared me righteous. He's declared me forgiven. He's declared me free. So I want to walk in that. I'm not going to let sin continue to have its tentacles wrapped around me and choking me out. I'm going to put it to death. So I'm going to end with the words from a song by Tadashi. He's a Christian speaking hip hop, hip hop artist. And this is from the song called Make War. And no lie, this specific song was a turning point in my life. I'm not gonna wrap it because that would be bad. No more playing games, man, because this thing can get risky. So man, if you in Christ take up your cross quickly, stand fearless on the front line, time to come with it, do the right thing, wake up and let's get it. I ain't even in the ring. They throw on bows like Riddick, persistently attacking me. They're even in the back of me. It's either fight or lose my life. And I can't take this passively. So what you think I'm about to do, I'm about to do what I can do. Trust the one who got me through and fight like it was after school. Never giving up, steady, standing on the battlefield. Feet firm to the ground like I stepped on Chapel Hill. Flesh feeling frisky. Sin persuades and tempts me. Satan cheers me on. Guilt followed by conviction. It's the same old trap and we fall like we defenseless. Work your senses, grow in wisdom, stand firm and be relentless. I make war because sin never sleeps. It's got me in a trance. You can see it in my dreams. 
I make war. Man, I beat my flesh to the death every breath. Like I beat my chest, I make war. Sun up, I make war. Sun down, I make war. Time in, I make war. Time out, I make war. Against lust, against pride, against me until I die. Do you even have a clue what happened to you when he died, when that tomb got rolled, when he rose in the sky? I think we emphasize sin so much that it makes us paralyzed and glorify struggle so much that it makes us terrified and de-emphasize the fact that we have been sterilized from our own lives and thus we got to snap out of it. We ain't in no straight jacket. We free. When Jesus died in our lives, something strange happened. He gave us power. Yeah, I know that we sinners, but since he rose, he's renewing the image of God in us. Now we got to start making war. Now we got, now we can start saying no to them fleshly impulses that Jesus Christ was paying for. Now we can start taking the lead. Whatever the sin is, we got to go, go, go harder. By his grace, no time to waste. And just like there's no tomorrow, I make war because sin never sleeps. It's got me in a trance. You can see it in my dreams. I make war. I beat my flesh to the death. Every breath, like I beat my chest, I make war. Sun up, I make war. Sun down, I make war. Time in, I make war. Time out, I make war against lust, against pride, against me until I die. Make war. It's time for us to make war. For some of you, maybe that means breaking off an ungodly relationship. Maybe it just means confessing and repenting to God and then going and telling a brother and sister in Christ. And, but don't, don't tell anyone. This is, by, this is not an uh, Instagram post or a Facebook post. Don't go talk to a strong, wise believer. For some of us, maybe it's deleting social media on our phone for a bit. For some of us, maybe it's getting internet accountability like uh, X3 or Covenant Eyes. I, I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that we have to make war. How are you going to make war? I'm going to invite you just to right now close your eyes, bow your head. We're going to have um, some prayer team, I believe, uh, around kind of some folks kind of scattered uh, around the sides and walls of the venue. And even after the service, uh, some of the pastors will be back at the Welcome Center. But if you would like to pray with some, talk with someone, I mean, they're there for you. And by the way, let's go ahead and get it out of the, like, they're not, no one in the room, I, I, well, I can't speak for everyone. God forbid us judging people if they go talk to somebody on the side of the room. <laughs> well, they must struggle with that. Who knows? You probably do do, do too. So quit being judgmental. If you want to pray with someone, you want to talk to someone, man, they're there to listen, to pray with you. But at the very least, I want to encourage you to write in your seat. We're going to give you just about a minute or two before we sing a quick little bit of a song. Give you about a minute to just talk with the Lord and say, God, help me to see how you want me to make war, to put these sins to death. Let's talk with God. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.